0: We will look at several texts here, God willing, this afternoon. The first is in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. Jeremiah, chapter 31. It will take us a while to get there. I want to address a practical question. How can I know if God loves me? There's nothing more important than this. It is undoubtedly the single most significant matter In all of life, to know that you are the object of God's love. And there's so much careless presumption on this matter today. Some people would say, well, this is a no brainer. God is love, God loves everybody. Jesus loves me, this I know. And so why all of the, the fuss about how can I know if God loves me? And it is, it is that very kind of attitude that needs to be addressed and needs to be corrected. Those who have that presumptuous View of God's love are not moved to the depths of their soul by this profound truth of the love of God if they are truly the objects of it. The fact is, if God loves you, then all is well and all is yours. If God does not love you, then all is lost. To discern the love of God and to discern and know that you are an object of his saving love is, in a sense, the height of Christian experience. There's no knowledge greater than this, to know that God loves you. It is to personalize the more general statements, such as John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, it's one thing to know that God loves his people and that God loves his redeemed and so on. But the question is am I in that number? Do I personally have a saving interest in Christ? Does he love me? And thank God for these general and undefined statements. Like the one I just quoted. But we want to know personally. If we are. Objects of that great love of God. Again, we have the statement, for example, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God commends his love. That is, he, he exhibits it. He sets it forth. God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, I want to know that that includes me. And as I said a moment ago, many people today give it little or no thought. They assume that it is so. God loves everyone, they say. So, of course, he loves me. Of course, they say. Of course, he loves me. And so the love of God is viewed as a common thing, nothing to be too concerned about, nothing to be too excited about, nothing to be particularly grateful for. And I recall a case many years ago in my upbringing where uh, a woman showed up at church and was very troubled in her soul and she spoke with some there and the conversation went something like this God doesn't love me she said now I don't know why she had come to that conclusion don't know what background she'd had what experiences and so on But the answer that was quickly given to her was, well, God does love you because he loves everyone. He loves you without a doubt. Of course he loves you. As if to say, you can assume that it is so. Well, this gets complicated very quickly, doesn't it? We have to distinguish between loves. There is in God a general love and a special love. There is a general love of God, certainly, and we do not deny that. A general love of God toward all creation. Even toward fallen man. This love, according to Matthew chapter 5, sends sunshine on the unjust. It sends rain upon those who are God's enemies. That's his general love. But the general love of God is not much comfort to us if that's the only sense in which he loves us. Because he is said to hate the same ones that he sends rain and sunshine upon. And let me just remind you of some some strong words from the book of Psalms. It says that thou hatest all the workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak lying. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Another psalm says, God is angry with the wicked every day. Again, the psalms tell us, the wicked and him that loveth violence His soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares and fire and brimstone. You see, God not only gives sunshine and rain upon the wicked, he will rain fire and brimstone eventually. And so on. And so, you say, well, does God love and hate the same person at the same time? That seems to be the testimony of Scripture. Think of Esau. He says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And yet Esau enjoyed the same sunshine that Jacob enjoyed. Esau enjoyed the same rainfall that Jacob enjoyed. And so in various uh, definitions of love and hate, we can say that God both loved and hated Esau based on these verses. And it is knowing that we deserve to be hated by God that makes his redeeming love so amazing and so wonderful. Well, let me just say a word here about God's special love. His special love is a love that does more than give sunshine and rain and food and harvest and and health, and opportunity, and all these earthly things. His special love is a love that saves, a love that pardons our sins, that brings us into intimate fellowship with Him, that adopts us into His family, that brings us into His glory forever. That's His special love. And it is vital that we distinguish between these two loves. And it's true to say that God loves everyone in, in a general sense, in, in, in terms of his general love. But we want to know that he loves us with this special love, a love that never ends A love that continues on in realms of glory in heaven forever. And so it is truly a profound matter to be the object of God's saving love. It's nothing to take for granted, nothing to assume. Listen, there's no of course. About it. Of course, God loves you. No, it's, I'm amazed. I'm thrilled. It's beyond my wildest expectations. It's an unspeakable delight to be loved of God. So, how can I know that God loves me with this Special love. Not just, how can I know that God loves His people? Or that God loves His elect? That God loves those, generally speaking, whom He saves? I need to know that he loves me, that I'm included in his saving love. And I want to look at some plain statements of scripture to answer this question. It's sort of a process of deduction. We're going to look at six scripture passages that tell us in the plainest of terms who God loves. And the first is in Jeremiah, chapter 31. And let's just get the context here from verse 1. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shall go forth in the dances of them that make merry and so on. <clears throat> well, in prophetic language and in the terms of the Old Testament uh, prophet Jeremiah, God tells us in verse 3 who the objects of his love are I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, Sometimes we read that and apply it to Jeremiah personally. But I think in the context, it's probably more proper to apply this to the remnant of Israel spoken of as if they were one person. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee the mark Of God's love, according to this verse, is his drawing of the soul to himself. To be drawn by God to God is the evidence of his love. To be brought into closeness with him, drawn in, brought in. Brought powerfully to him. And to put this in the most gospel framework. This is the effectual call. This is to be drawn by the spirit of God into fellowship with God. Brought to repentance. Brought to saving faith. Brought to Christ, coming to Him in all that that entails, to turn from sin and to trust in Him. Who God loves, He draws to Himself. In your personal experience, have you consciously Come to Christ. Have you come to God through Christ? Do you come to God through Christ? Do you know what it is to be drawn and brought powerfully to him? Are you conscious of a power greater than yourself coming to to draw you to God in Christ? Do you embrace Christ As your Savior. Do you embrace him as your Lord? Have you been drawn to God? If so. You may know. That God loves you. Secondly. Proverbs. Chapter 15. In verse 9. Tells us who God loves Proverbs 15 9 it says the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness God loves those who follow after righteousness We might paraphrase that in this way. God loves those who walk in the path of obedience to his revealed will. Who follow the word of God diligently. This passage is similar to Psalm 146 verse 8 that says, The Lord loveth the righteous. And here it is, He loveth Him that followeth after righteousness. And the word follow here is a strong word. It means to pursue, to chase after. It's not just a careless now and then kind of a thing. It's a, it's a, a relentless, diligent pursuit. And the Lord loves those who follow after righteousness. Do you live to please God? Is that the greatest desire and goal of your life? Do you relentlessly pursue serving Him, honoring Him, doing His will? Is obedience to God your greatest joy and delight? When you know when your conscience is clear and you know that you're walking with him and following him, is that when your soul is most happy and delighted and at peace? Or is obedience an unbearable burden and you avoid it whenever you can? And you only do what God says when other people are watching and you know that you have to and and so on. He loves those who follow after righteousness. If sin is your greatest grief and obedience is your greatest joy, then my friend, you may know that God loves you with His saving love. These first two are from the Old Testament, the remaining four are in the New Testament. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This one may be kind of a outflowing of point number 2 which is very general, following after righteousness. Here's a a specific thing, but it is mentioned in terms of God and who he loves, and so we give it a separate number. Number three, 2 Corinthians 9, and in the context here, Paul's talking about the, the offerings that were being given to help needy saints and giving in general. To the work of God. And he says in verse 6. But this I say he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He's encouraging them to to generosity in their giving. And then in verse 7 he says every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give not grudgingly. Or of necessity. Don't do it because you have to. Don't do it because others are expecting you to. Don't give it grudgingly saying, man, I sure wish I didn't have to give this. I've got so much that I could do with that money that I I would much rather. Oh no. Then he says, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Who does God love? He loves those that cheerfully give to his cause. Well, this is a very practical matter, isn't it? Here's a specific practical duty and privilege. Giving to God. Making a contribution. And through the the institution that he has ordained, which is his local assembly, that's how it was done here in Corinth and so on and elsewhere, that says something about us. In fact, it it says more about us than we may realize. And it's not just giving, you notice. It's how we give. It doesn't just say God loves the giver. Because a person may give grudgingly and of necessity. Because he has to. But God loves the one who gives with the attitude of cheerfulness and joy. Who counts it not just a duty but a privilege. Considering all that God has given me. It's a it's a joy to be able to give something back to him. If you joyfully contribute to God's work, I say this on the authority of Holy Scripture in 2 Corinthians 9 7. If you joyfully contribute to God's work, you may know that God loves you. Number four in Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12. This is a familiar passage and we'll not take the time to read the context here. But in verse 6 we read, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. This is a quotation, of course, from... The book of Proverbs chapter 3 that reads very similarly. The same principle is reiterated in Revelation chapter 3 verse 19 where the Lord says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So the question is, does God correct you? <laughs> when you sin, does God correct you does his fatherly chastening kick in or does he leave you alone and just let you pursue a course of sin well whom he loves he corrects and the correction is sometimes painful if lesser measures fail to bring us to repentance and fail to cause us to part with our sin, then he will go so far as to scourge, it says. And that's the same term used in the beating of Christ with that Roman whip that had nine uh, projectiles attached to it. We may expect the rod from our heavenly father when we disobey. So does God correct you when you sin? Do you know what it is to be chastened or even scourged by God? This passage tells us that the end result is good. Verse 11, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. But grievous. We don't say oh boy it's time for a spanking. No. But we look back now. And we say. The thinking of earthly terms and our parents and so on. I needed every spanking I got. And usually we say I I needed a few more. That they didn't know that I needed. Afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit. Of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. In other words, the end result is the comfortable assurance of his love. You know, the thing is, it, it, it's counterintuitive, but the child who is chastened by the parents knows at least that the parents care, that the parents love them. So much so that the book of Proverbs says that the parents that don't discipline the children are the ones who hate them. Well, God loves us. He loves us too much to leave us in our sin. And He's going to chasten us. He's going to correct us. If you know the chastening hand of God upon you when you sin, then you may deduce this Precious truth. He loves you. He's your heavenly father. He cares about you. And he loves you. Fifthly, we look at first John chapter three. First John chapter three. And it begins in verse 1 by saying, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. So here is a very practical test concerning the love of God. Those whom he loves are rejected by the world. This sinful, God-hating, Christ-crucifying world rejects not only Christ himself, but all those who are Christ-like. Those who are his followers and his disciples. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. The question is, does the world know you? That is, does the world like you and accept you and count you as one of their own? You see, the love of God makes a distinction. It separates wheat from chaff, goats from sheep. And it determines our friends and our enemies. And he who is the friend of God is the enemy of the world. And though we build bridges to reach the lost with the gospel, and we try to help them, unless God works savingly in them, they tear down those bridges. They don't want to hear our gospel. They do not know us. They reject us. And so, if the attitude of the world toward you is unfriendly, and I mean the world in the sense of the lost world opposed to God and his truth and his people if this world is unfriendly to you because of your commitment to God and your likeness to Christ and your pursuit of holiness then my friend you may know that God loves you last of all number 6 is in 1 John chapter 4 And verse 19. We love him, it says, because he first loved us. If you want to know if God loves you, then you must answer this question. Do you love him? Do you love him? And this verse tells us that his love comes first. And there are also other verses that tell us that not only does his love come first, and then he works to make us and to cause us to love him, but then On the other end of things, as we love him, he is delighted in that love and he rewards our love with yet more love. And it's hard to put all this together in some structure, but God's love is both antecedent and consequent. It both precedes and follows As well. It's both cause and effect, we might say. Here it's the cause. We love him because he first loved us. The evidence of his love to someone is that that someone loves him. Sometimes as you read, you may find writers. Using these adjectives, they talk about God's benevolent love and his complacent love. Well, what we have in 1 John 4.19 is his benevolent love. That is his love of goodwill. His love that comes first. He loved us when we were his enemies. He gave himself for our salvation. He draws us to himself, gives us a heart to love him. In return, we reflect his love. We reciprocate his love. But there is also something to be said about his loving those that love him. You know, the verse in Proverbs uh, in that eighth chapter in which wisdom speaks as a person, wisdom personified, and you read that and you say, well, this is Christ in Proverbs 8 And what does wisdom say? I love them that love me. And Christ, who is our wisdom, says exactly that. I love them that love me. We wouldn't love him if he didn't love us first, but he rewards our love with his love as well. Jesus said to the disciples in John 16, 27, The Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me. And you have to take that in balance with uh, 1 John four nineteen. God's love comes first, and God's love comes following as well. His love comes before and after our love to Him. And this love that comes after, this love that follows, is what old writers would call His complacent love. And unfortunately, the definition of complacent has kind of changed over the years. But the, the, the meaning that it originally had is a delight. It's God, God not only has a love of goodwill, love of benevolence that gets the ball rolling, we might say. But then as, he, as our hearts are drawn to him and we love him, he is pleased. He is delighted and we, I don't know how else to say it. He loves us because we love Him. And you have to see both sides of this coin. The Father Himself loveth you because ye have loved me, Jesus says. God's love is both the cause and the effect depending on our perspective. Do you love God? You know, John speaks of loving the world, on the other hand. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the question is, where are your affections? What do you love? Whom do you love? supremely and first and foremost Jesus said if you love me keep my commandments you know love to God is practical all through John 14 here in the upper room discourse we see him saying this if you love me keep my commandments he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me if a man love me, he will keep my words. and My father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with them. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And so on. And so this is the practical test of loving God. We dealt with this a couple of weeks ago. Do you love his person, his very Uh, Character, his, his attributes, his word, his works, his law, his government and rule, his worship, his people. Do you love all that he loves? Do you love God? If so, then you may certainly know that he loves you. you wouldn't love him if he didn't love you first. And so, let us consider these questions and ponder them and not give a quick, thoughtless answer, but give a, a carefully uh, considered and honest answer. Have you been drawn to god do you follow after righteousness do you cheerfully give to god does god correct you when you sin does the world reject you and do you love god we have these six uh, statements made in the clearest of terms in holy scripture as to who god loves And if you can answer these in the affirmative, well, let's see, the right one's in the affirmative. I guess there's one that should be negative. No, let's see. Stating it this way if the world rejects you, okay, that's, yeah. If you can answer these in the affirmative, then you have God's written word on the matter. He loves you. And he loves you not just as he loved Esau by giving him rain and sunshine. He loves you in that he has given his son for you. How can I know if God loves me? Well, rather than seek some subjective, mystical impression and just some feeling out of nowhere that all of a sudden you you feel warm in your soul, and so on, and thereby determine that it must be that God loves you. Consider this more objective and biblical approach to the matter. God tells us in his word who he loves. And here is then solid, substantial assurance. Assurance of the most important thing in all the world to know that God loves you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for not leaving us to guess, not leaving us to suppose, not leaving us to conjecture, not leaving us to the whims and the... the, Roller coaster of emotions, but thank you for an objective standard that you've given us. And we pray that you would help each of us here today to be able to answer honestly these questions in the affirmative and to see ourselves in these passages that defines so clearly who you love. Father, knowing your love, our hearts rejoice and we want to know you more and we want to praise you and thank you and worship you. We want to love you in return more. We want to have a growing love, a living, vibrant love, an obedient love. we thank you. Thank you for the unspeakable gift of your Son and salvation in Him. Help us never to presume upon your love. Help us never to think lightly of it, but to marvel and rejoice in it. And though multitudes around us speak so lightly and have no concept of what a great thing it is to be loved by you Help us, at least, we pray, to measure it and count it in the most superlative way. Thank you for loving us and all that your love has done for us all that your love has provided and what is yet to come. We look forward to that more and more each day. We pray that you would take these things and apply them to our hearts according to our need, according to each one here, and the individual soul. In Jesus' name, amen.